Welcome to the Carnivore Yogi Podcast. This is episode nine. And on today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Jamie Seaman, who is also known as Dr. Fit and Fabulous, also known as Mrs. Nebraska. And this week, as this podcast episode drops, middle of March 2021, she is going to be headed to the Mrs. USA pageant. So if you're listening to this at the middle of March 2021, please go and cheer her on. We are absolutely so proud of her and we want to see her win this crown. She's just such a wonderful example for women, I think. She's so strong and such a good example for her patients. Speaking of which, Dr. Fit and Fabulous started a ketogenic diet herself after the birth of her third child when she was really struggling with her own hormonal balance and her own thyroid hypothyroidism. And since then, she has been implementing the ketogenic diet and protocol in her own practice with patients and also with patients virtually. She sees patients virtually as well, does consultation. So she has a lot of knowledge about how keto and carnivore can work for women and aid in things like fertility, help with perimenopause, help with menopause, help with amenorrhea, people who have lost their cycle. So many things that we discussed in this episode, we went into all of that. We also talked about carb cycling, which is kind of a controversial topic right now. A lot of people are talking about this a lot and it's necessary for hormones. We talked about this and people who maybe have adherence issues or food addiction issues, should they experience or try out carb cycling? We also touched on iodine, which seems to be a pretty hot topic these days. In the keto and carnivore space, a lot of people are pushing iodine, so I really wanted to get her professional opinion and medical opinion on this. So I hope you guys really do enjoy this episode. Please make sure to share it over on social media. If you do that, please tag me so I know you can give me a shout out and give you a shout out right back and thank you for your support. If you're on Apple, please go ahead and leave me a review. Leave me some five stars if you don't mind. I would love to hear from you. And that really helps to continue to push my podcast out to more people so we can reach more people, help more people, and continue to get to the bottom of your health in a dogma-free way. That is really what I want to do with this podcast is to help people to send out a message that you can take control of your health. You can really empower yourself with this knowledge. And I want to continue to do that. So thank you guys all for listening. Today's episode is going to be sponsored by Let's Get Checked. Now you can use my code YOGI, all caps, 20, YOGI20, and get 20% off of your order from Let's Get Checked. This is a service I have used over the last year and a half now. It is wonderful because You don't have to go to the doctor. You can check your vitamin and mineral levels. You can check your thyroid. You can check your hormone levels, your kidney, your liver. You can even check your cholesterol. It's something that you can check if you are curious about it. So go ahead and check out Let's Get Checked. There will be a link in the show notes as well as my code YOGI20 that you can use for 20% off of your very first order. And I am really excited to present this show to you guys. So please do enjoy it. And I will talk with you again soon. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back to the channel. I'm really excited about today's guest. We've got Dr. Jamie Seaman, who is, I'm sure if you watch my channel or listen to my podcast, you know exactly who she is, <laughs> but uh, the current Mrs. Nebraska, and we're all going to be rooting for her to be Mrs. America very, very soon, like in the next, what, couple, a month or so that you're going to be going to that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. I leave in uh, 18, wow. days. 18 days. Yes. We're all, everybody in the community is going to be rooting big time for you to take the crown. So we're Thank you for taking the time out today to talk with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. We're spreading the message. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a little bit off camera before we got, well, you know what, before I jump into everything, if you wouldn't mind going and giving everyone a little bit of your backstory with uh, insulin resistance, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people already know, but insulin resistance and just being a doctor and having to go through that and then reversing that and getting your A1C down briefly. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's really, uh, an important part of why I do what I do. So I was born, um, you know, pretty athletic, grew up as a three sport athlete, 
went to college and played college athletics, met my husband in college. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in nutrition and exercise science. So I've always had an interest in that world, which is a little bit different than many of my colleagues. But my husband and I got married and I went to medical school where I had three children in the middle of my training. And the, the real message here is that doctors are just as human as their patients are. So, you know, here I am this highly educated person. I have a medical degree. I have a nutrition degree. And I was just as confused as everybody else. Then I really kind of fell into the world of convenience of foods that were fast, cheap, that tasted good. Um, that I thought were not that bad for me, right? They were low fat, they were heart healthy, they had all the words on the boxes. Um, but here I was as an adult living with uh, prediabetes and hypothyroidism, and I didn't know it really for many years. I kind of mm. navigated through my pregnancies with kind of, you know, so-so nutrition, a little bit of exercise here and there. And I just thought the way I felt was how life was when you were a busy mom of three and you had a husband that worked nights and weekends, but I was tired. I mean, I couldn't stay up past, you know, a minute past my own children's bedtime. Um, I had constipation. I just didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I had acne and rosacea, just very mild symptoms. But if anybody were to look at a picture of me, I don't think anybody would have said, oh my gosh, that woman definitely is on the five-year five plan for diabetes. Yep. But I got my labs checked and thank God I did. Um, in 2015, I had a really horrible tragedy happen in my life. I lost one of my best friends and it was just kind of this life moment that really catapulted me into living my life differently. Um, I just kind of felt like fraud as a physician. Here I was supposed to be the you know, billboard of you know, reducing cardiovascular risk and diabetes and how could I expect my patients to do anything I wasn't willing to do for myself? And at that time, um, you know, keto wasn't really like a hot thing. I really started to navigate into the nutrition literature and start questioning things that I had learned. And gosh, we never learned about this in medicine. And all I can find in the interwebs is how bad it is for you. So I really just kind of became an, an N of one experiment. And I, I started with whole 30 and then paleo and then keto. And now I'm kind of carnivore and somewhere in between. And I've tried all these things and um, I've really kind of become an own, my own expert at my own body, which I think everybody should do. Yes. And we're, we're going to definitely dive into that because what yes. works for me and what works for you and what works for everybody listening is not the same thing. Um, but what's incredible to me is what started is just changing my diet, just changing my diet, literally changed everything in my entire life. It changed the way I practice medicine. It changed the way that I am as a mother. Now I have more energy. It just changed my entire zest for life. I started going after things. I never would have had the energy or the desire to even pursue, um, had I, you know, continued to feel the way that I felt back then. So, um, it's just been a whole transformation. And now I'm really just trying to change other people's lives because it's never too late and um, it, I've seen it in my own patients. And that's, that's why I'm here. That's why we're here on a Sunday recording this podcast, because yeah. literally I can change so many more lives by, by the people listening right now than I can, you know, I can only see so many patients in a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean, I love that you do a ketogenic therapy with your patients also, because you know, right now there's just this fertility epidemic going on. I've got, I have so many friends and, you know, I'm a yoga teacher. I've been teaching yoga for over a decade now. And a lot of the yoga people are vegans and vegetarians and they eat a very high carb plant-based diet. And I feel like a lot of my yoga teacher friends are on a fertility journey right now, big time. And it, it's so hard for me to sit where I'm sitting and know what I know and just say, you know, if you would perhaps cut some of that out and add a little more animal protein and some egg yolks and some meat into your life, this might not be such an issue for you. So is that something that you see a lot in your practice as well? Yeah, we've definitely seen that nutrition um, is a political game. There's, yeah. you know, when it comes to us dietary recommendations and the new guidelines that came out this year, there is a lot of politics at play and it's really what got us into this mess. You know, if we kind of backtrack in history, how did we end up here? Well, certainly, 
you know, modern civilization, you know, has allowed us to have shelf stable foods and things like that. But, you know, food manufacturers are only going to make food that people buy. And so they have created these, you know, foods in labs that are just delicious and uh, yeah. they, they taste wonderful. I won't lie, you know, a, a package of Oreos is, is dang delicious. But um, <laughs> what they do is they override our satiety mechanisms and they're addictive and they're inflammatory and, but they're cheap and they're convenient. And, and when we look at, you know, let's look at, you know, keto versus vegetarian versus carnivore versus paleo versus whole 30, right? I think the one thing that maybe everybody can agree on is that eating a whole food diet is mm -hmm. probably a good place to start, right? Anything that had a mother or grew in the ground. That's what I tell my patients. It's just, yep. it's, you don't want to overthink it, but there's certainly so much politics involved. And, and what I'm seeing right now in 2021 is that, you know, there really is this quote unquote plant-based movement. And, mm -hmm. um, the harmful thing that's going to come of this is that when we look over the last 30 years, over the last 30 years, we're eating less meat than we were in 1980s. And the rates of cancer and obesity and diabetes and, and heart disease have all gone up. So you can't say that it's the red meat. And just this last week, just this last week, I had to sit in a cardiology appointment with one of my family members and listen to this cardiologist mm -hmm. talk about how beef and saturated fat we're going to drive this person's heart disease. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I could pull a lot of 2020 and 2021 <laughs> studies. I mean, very recent studies, you know, that show that that's just not true. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to look your friends in the face and your family members in the face because um, people are very defensive about yeah. it. Um, it and, and social media has really just become an echo chamber for a lot of those opinions. And so I encourage people to explore all the options and, there are people that could eat a vegetarian or plant-based diet and be healthy. That is, that is totally fine. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do, but from my standpoint, you know, what are your numbers? Do you have normal mm -hmm. body composition? Do you have normal metabolic markers? Are you functioning optimally? Are you giving the world what it deserves? And, you know, if the answer isn't yes to all those things, then maybe something needs changed and fertility. Yeah. Let's roll back to your original question. Yeah. We it's yes, it's becoming a huge issue. There's increasing infertility, not only for women, but for men, semen yes. analysis, is, you know, I, I, you know, go over these with couples. There's just as much bad sperm as there are, you know, bad ovaries right now. And nutrition plays an integral role. And I tell women, your body has these nutrient sensing pathways that are directly correlated to your circadian rhythm and your fertility. And all of these things matter, not just nutrition, but stress and the way we sleep yes. and the amount of sunlight we get, it all matters. And, uh, you got to pick a place to start. And, and I really honestly believe that if you only could focus on one to begin with nutrition is really where it's at. I agree. And it's, you know, more than just fertility. I see, um, so many women, you know, they hit their mid thirties and they start having that lower progesterone and they start slipping into estrogen dominance, which I know a lot of people in my audience, they, you know, we've been taught to fear estrogen because of this whole estrogen dominance thing. I know it's not a totally bad hormone, but, um, I got into it big time when I hit my mid thirties and I was like, my, the shape of my body changed. And all of a sudden, um, it just got, I just got insulin resistance. My A1C got to be really high. And I was like, my doctor was like, Oh, we're not really worried about this. I think I was like a 5.8 A1C. And she's like, Oh no, we don't need to really worry about that. So that's no big deal. And I was like, well, I have this weight that I can't lose. And I had cysts on my ovaries and it was just like this big shift. And, um, I think that when we change our diet also, and look at some lifestyle things that that can, can also help with those women who are struggling with estrogen dominance as well. Absolutely. You know, each decade of a woman's life brings different, you know, struggles. And so, you know, what happens, I have three little girls, so very near and dear to my heart, but eventually here they, they're going to go through puberty, right. Where they start yeah. having the menstrual cycles and women are born, our ovaries were born with all the follicles, all the eggs we'll ever have in our entire lifetime. It's pretty fascinating. And there's about one to 2 million at, at, um, at birth. And then about 400,000 left when a girl enters puberty, we only wow. ovulate about 400 to 500 of those eggs. And so once that clock has started ticking, there's only so many left. And every single month, the brain in the pituitary gland 
it stimulates the ovary and it says, Hey, you know, 15 of you get ready. I'm going to pick one of you. And so every single month, a bunch of follicles get stimulated and then one becomes the dominant follicle and, and it ovulates. And so if, obviously if you don't achieve a pregnancy and nobody wants a pregnancy every single month, right. um, then, then those follicles are gone. I mean, they're just, they've left the party. And so what happens as we get into our thirties is, you know, in our twenties, we can get away with a lot of bad behavior. Oh, our God. bodies still yeah. are, you know, we don't have cellular senescence, which means kind of like lazy cells. Like, I mean, we can kind of abuse our body. Everybody went to college. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and you can still kind of bounce back, but as you get into your thirties, your, your ability to recover from poor nutrition, lack of sleep, a lot, you know, excessive alcohol intake, it starts to suffer. And as we enter our forties, then we're getting closer to this perimenopausal stage and perimenopause mm -hmm. is when we're starting to We've really depleted the amount of follicles left in our eggs and, or, you know, eggs left in our ovaries. And so, you know, each month the pituitary gland's like, Hey, 15 of you get ready. And they're, they're like, well, there's only three of us that are even close to ready. And so eventually what will happen is, is those little follicles are making estrogen, but they don't make progesterone until they ovulate. And so this mm -hmm. idea that you brought up of this kind of estrogen dominance is that the closer we get to menopause, we naturally become more estrogen dominant. And then once we go through menopause, we're kind of in this permanent state of very like mild estrogen dominance. And, and we can talk about that kind of physiologic shift that happens after menopause. But in this transition, you know, women that take care of themselves tend to have very few um, complaints. And uh, I think a lot of women come to my clinic thinking that my hormones are messed up. That's why I feel this way. When really a lot of it is that we've messed up our hormones. Mm, yeah. <laughs> sleep and nutrition and exercise and stress and environmental toxins are, are really what kind of regulate those things. And so everybody's body is a little bit different and, um, hormone testing is very hard. You know, a lot of women will listen to this podcast and they're going to run off to their doctor and say, well, check my hormones, but it's yeah, like, I've done it's that. like a moving <laughs> duck because every single yeah. month, every day of the month, I could check them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they're going to be different depending mm -hmm. where you're at in your cycle. So I do, you know, advanced testing, like Dutch cycle mapping and mm -hmm. things like that. If we're really trying to get down into the weeds, but a lot of the times you don't even really have to check them We, you know, a patient will describe their symptoms and I can almost always tell you exactly what's going on. But estrogen dominance essentially can give you a variety of clinical symptoms um, things like breast tenderness, fibroids, um, uh, you know, poor recovery. There's lots of different things. PCOS is an estrogen dominant state, like you were kind of describing, but, um, estrogen is a great hormone. It's a great yes. hormone for women. And, and there's a darn good reason we want it. Even, even after menopause, there's good reasons for hormone replacement therapy, but we want it in the right amount and we want to be able to metabolize it and get rid of it. And, um, a lot of the lifestyle things that I've you know, kind of touched on are things that can inhibit that from happening. Yeah. That I love that I've talked, heard you talk about this on other podcasts before, just things in our environment that can create more estrogen that our, our body just literally can't detox like the, uh, the receipt papers and yeah. using plastic. I didn't know that about the receipt papers. And then people are using the hand sanitizer with the receipt papers and kind of like making the whole thing worse. What are some, some things like if there if someone listening, what they could do to cut down on those xenoestrogens, the ones in the environment. Yeah. Yeah. So there's really, you know, when we think about why would a woman have a ton of estrogen? Well, she could, that could just be her. Some women just make right. a ton of estrogen, right? But this environmental xenoestrogen exposure is essentially um, chemicals and, and, you know, you touched on receipt paper. That's a huge one that people never hear of. And if you use hand sanitizer, it increases the absorption of it tenfold. And of course, plastic water bottles, plastic food mm -hmm. containers, you never should heat your food. It's okay to store them in a plastic container in the fridge, but don't ever heat them. Don't put them in the microwave, yes. um, put them in a, a glass dish or a glass plate or something like that. Or you can totally switch to glass and stainless steel, you know, serverware and things like that. Um, the paper that they wrap your meat in at the meat market. Yeah, that's mm. fine. Bring it home from the market and, you know, unwrap it and put it in a different container. And once again, never heat it in there. But other things to consider are cosmetics, um, mm -hmm. fragrance, anything with fragrance, um, the wall plugins, the car um, air fresheners, uh, perfumes, yeah. uh, scented body lotions. A lot of these things can just have very odd chemicals that can be chemical disruptors and xenoestrogens. And then the other ones that really women need to hear about is unfortunately alcohol. 
um, drives excessive amounts of estrogen. It increases the aromatization, which is a, a fancy word for saying there's an enzyme that converts your testosterone into estrogen. And this is both men and women. So men, uh, this is where, this is where men get man boobs. If you drink too much beer, <laughs> yeah. so alcohol use, um, just obesity in general increases aromatization. Um, and then just other inflammation in the body, anything that drives inflammation, that's such a buzzword right now. And then insulin resistance, insulin yes. resistance drives aromatization. So, you know, you take a woman who's uh, 40 years old and obese and, uh, you know, insulin resistant and drinking a bunch of wine at night. Oof. And that's just a perfect storm. It's, and there's yeah. a lot of women that will, that will resonate with what I just said. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and I'm so glad I don't drink anymore. It's <laughs> something I took out a long time ago. Cause that's, it's a nice way when you're stressed out to just unwind and it can be, I had to stop because it was something I wanted to basically do all the time. And I was like, you know what, this is just one of those things kind of like the way that I eat. I don't eat sugars and things like that. Cause it's, it just is like, there's one is not enough and it's too many. And <laughs> then to hear about this effect that it has on the body also is, is more motivation to kind of keep, keep that off the table for sure. Yeah. The tough part about alcohol is that, um, you know, people will say, oh, but there's these studies. If you have one to two glasses of, you know, red wine, it's good for your heart. But the problem is, is that, um, you know, the alcohol in it of itself, um, it, it's, it's inflammatory to the body and, this idea of oxidative priority, right? Nobody drinks two glasses of wine and doesn't eat, right? They're right. like, you know, slamming into the charcuterie board or eating dinner or going for the sweets. And so, you know, if you drink alcohol, your body has to burn through all of that alcohol before it touches any amount of food you've eaten. So really a, a more strategic way to drink. <laughs> if people <laughs> want to know, you know, listen to some of the biohackers and things is that you should take some vitamin C and glutathione or some liver uh, before you, before you drink and you shouldn't eat for several hours, really. Um, and in a ketogenic state, you get intoxicated much quicker. So I'm a cheap date. I can have one glass of wine <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> so, but really, honestly, I mean, if you can avoid it, just avoid it. And my husband and I will have one on occasion, but it is, it is very much social and, um, and for, for only that purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I heard you talk on another podcast about your thoughts on, um, intuitive eating for women and just how our cycle and, and how for the women who do cycle, who are listening, how it kind of, we go through these shifts and I keep hearing different things about, you know, the first half of your cycles when you should have carbs, if you're going to have them, or some people are saying the second half of the cycle is when you should have them. And I, I loved your little, <laughs> I think you were like, women can't really do a lot of intuitive eating, especially in that second half of their cycle. So if we could kind of <laughs> drill into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, intuitive eating is, sounds kind of like this magical fairy tale. Um, the unfortunate <laughs> part is intuitive eating got a lot of people listening into the exact situation they're in. And that was including myself. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, is that if you're, if you're sick and broken metabolically, um, your satiety mechanisms are not normal. Um, and so it's hard to say, well, just eat intuitively because you can't really do that until you are at kind of your, your goal, your, you know, your, whatever it is, whatever that goal is of like function and optimal life. Like you can't really like dive into intuitive eating until you're there. And balanced so, blood sugar, right? Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. yeah, blood sugar dysregulation, just the inflammation, um, you know, your satiety mechanisms change as you lose or gain body fat. So, I mean, mm -hmm. as you diet and are trying to drop body fat, your body will fight you tooth and nail. I mean, that is a protective survival mechanism of humans is that it's easy for us to store energy but your body will, it, it won't just throw the energy out the window. Uh, it's designed mm -hmm. for, for storage purposes because a long winter might be coming and we don't know if food will be available. I mean, that's, that's where our ancestors came from. And it's, you know, from a fertility perspective, I always remind women, like your body is such this fertile creature that it's always trying to sense, is this a good time to reproduce? And it's always trying to protect you from, from harming your reproduction. Although we've shown that that's darn easy to yeah. override. Yeah. So, but in a menstruating woman, 
the reason it's difficult is because every single week, remember when I said it's hard to test hormones, it's because every single day, every single week, these hormones are fluctuating. So at the beginning of the cycle, so let's say cycle day one, that's the first day of bleeding, the first day of heavy flow of bleeding. Um, this is when you're starting to see an increase in estrogen, okay? And you have high insulin sensitivity. So you're quite insulin sensitive during this time. So during your period, you know, if you want to have some complex carbs, some rice, some quinoa, some sweet potatoes, I got no issue with that. Um, your fuel source at rest it is glucose. And during exercise, it's fat oxidation. Um, your fat storage is lowered. So you're not really, you know, storing a lot of fat. You've got a normal metabolic rate. Your hunger is usually lower, uh, which is funny because mm -hmm. I think most people are like, oh, it's my period. Like that was last week, honey. It's the week before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's the week um, before is hell, but the week of I'm like, always yeah. relieved when it's yeah. that week because I'm water like, finally, retention. I'm not going to. Yeah. Water retention, kind of that bloating feeling that's low and it's a great time to grow muscle. Okay. So, you know, that week, um, as long as you're not having super heavy bleeding and cramping, which is funny. Cause like now with my new lifestyle, I might, I don't even feel my periods. It's like the most no. incredible thing ever, but then as you transition into week two, okay. So day seven to 14, now estrogen's coming up, you know, even higher, um, and we're about to ovulate. And so as soon as we're about to ovulate, um, there's kind of this little burst of testosterone that happens. And we do see a, just a small amount of increase in water retention. And then after ovulation, this is when progesterone is coming out of that little, remember I said that little follicle comes to the party. And then after it ovulates, it makes progesterone because it's anticipating a possible pregnancy. Progesterone is a hormone of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I, I made a great Instagram post about being I saw that. progesterone drunk because I've <laughs> tested myself and I make like enough progesterone for like five babies. So, um, but what happens is in this progesterone phase, um, insulin sensitivity is very low. So if we were to put a continuous glucose monitor on people, we see more blood sugar dysregulation. Um, they have baseline fat oxidation, um, and, and even more fat oxidation during exercise. They're just not, they're not even like doing well at burning carbs. This is the body's, you know, mechanism here for reproduction, but there's increased fat storage. There is an increased metabolic rate. Maybe women mm -hmm. have noticed they feel kind of hot or even sweaty at night during progesterone phase, or people have made, I've no people have seen it on their aura the ring. ring. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Um, you can, you can see that that um, basal body temperature is rising, but hunger is off the charts because the body's anticipating that you might get pregnant this cycle and it mm -hmm. wants you to eat. Remember I said the body wants you to survive. It wants you to perpetuate your DNA until the end of time. Um, water retention kind of lowers a little bit during this time and muscle growth is not good during this time. Mm -hmm. You do not recover well from exercise, like hit training. That would not be a good idea. So in this early luteal phase, so like day 14 to 21, maybe just some low intensity exercise, um, and, you know, and when we say be intuitive, I mean, just understand that, that this is normal physiology. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to the show, for being a part of this community. I really, really appreciate you so much. And I want to take a second again to thank my sponsor of today's show. Let's get checked. If you are concerned about your hormones or cholesterol or thyroid or vitamin and mineral levels, all of these things that we really discuss that are vital for your health, you can utilize Let's Get Checked. There will be a link in the show notes and you can use my code YOGI20 to get 20% off of your order from Let's Get Checked. And I think it's a very valuable service. If there is something wrong, they actually will have a nurse that calls you. So I think that can be very helpful as well. But thanks again to Let's Get Checked for sponsoring this episode and let's get back to the show. And depending on what your goals are, you might have to kind of hack the system. Like right now I'm trying to lose body fat. So I'm having to do things that help with that satiety and that hunger. And then as you get into that week before the period, um, it just, it, it gets even a little bit worse um, because yeah. now we're seeing water retention. You're hungry. Your blood sugars are all over the place. You just feel bloated and horrible and you're just begging for your period to begin again. Yes. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Unless you get a positive pregnancy test, in which case you're going to feel that way for another 40 weeks. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that, I mean, don't, uh, don't hate your body. I mean, these are normal, yeah. normal physiologic changes that are happening. And I think the more you kind of 
get in tune with them. Um, if you're off any sort of like hormonal birth control, you can track your cycle. And it's very easy for me. I'm like, Oh, I think today is day 14 or, I mean, I can yep. always guess what day I am because I, you know, just based on how I feel. Yeah. And that's one thing I love about what you're doing in your whole platform and your whole message is you're really working to empower women you know, where we've been taught so incorrectly that our bodies are bad and that periods are bad and the cycle is bad and, oh, you're emotional and, um, you know, be dainty and be skinny and you want to be a lightweight and all this stuff. And, and your whole message is like completely contra that. And I'm, I, I just love it and promote it. And I want women to, to not fear their cycle and to see that as like their fifth vital sign, as you've said so many times before, like if you're, if your cycle is not regulated, then there's something going on that, that you need to take a look at. Yeah. Yeah. On both ends of the spectrum, you know, I, um, when kind of carnivore became this hot thing, you know, I, I don't think zero carb is for every woman. Um, yeah, you know, I, I agree. Um, I consulted with a lot of people in the carnivore space that they didn't lose their period on carnivore, but they had like, you know, never had, well, I did <laughs> or yeah. I mean, yeah. And, uh, and I watched my estrogen go down when I was, when I was carnivore and part of it was that I got very lean, but um, you know, zero carb is not for everybody. Um, and, and ketosis isn't for everybody, especially long-term. Um, and I think that everybody has to find kind of that place where their body is functioning optimally. Yeah. You feel good like the way you look, you know, all those things, but we also have to match, um, reality because in the social media world, um, we're sold a, a finished product all the time, yeah. right? This like super ripped guy and ripped girl or skinny or a model. And she's got big breasts and you know, all this, and we're sold this image and the extreme things that some of those people have to do to look that way, that's not yeah. sustainable and that's not for all of us. And so, um, we're such a finished product society where we really need to embrace kind of the process. You know, this is a lifestyle change. This is changing the way you think, eat, move all the things. Um, and, and that's, what's going to get you, uh, in a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, I think that we're so trapped into these one approach is going to fix everything. And I fell into that with the carnivore diet is like, I had so many great improvements right away, immediately, just amazing improvements. And then when things, then I started my YouTube and I started my platform and people started following me. And about a year in, I started having trouble and I was like, oh crap. Um, <laughs> I have to, I have to look at this objectively. I have to have an open mind about it. And so I've been really open with my audience about a lot of the changes I've had to make. And, you know, a diet is great, but it's a tool. And the trap that I feel like we, a lot of us have fallen into is looking at the carnivore diet is going to fix everything or keto is going to fix everything. And then they're not, um, one thing I keep hearing is like, Oh, if you eat a lot of meat, you don't have to lift as much weight. So you don't have to work out as much. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> that's not really a good message okay. to, promoting. You have to be able to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it just, it, it can be dangerous that, you know, we just look to these one and, and I have a podcast. I talk to people about minerals and like, oh, your whole problem is minerals, you know, or your, your whole problem is uh, your gut. And there, it's just like, we don't, we can't yeah. look at things as a whole and that can yeah. be so dangerous. Yeah. It's very myopic to kind of look at some of these things. And uh, back to this meeting with this cardiologist, it was like, uh, this person was so, honed in on the fact that if they could just get this patient's LDL less than 70, that's what's going to prevent um, a, a cardiac event. And it's so myopic. You have to look at everything. You have to look yeah. at the big picture, you know, uh, how's the patient sleeping? What's their stress level like? You know, it's just, and that's, I think social media, like I said, kind of perpetuates that echo chamber a little bit that it's like, oh, it's your gut bacteria. Oh no, it's this. Oh no, it's that. Oh, it's your mag. Yeah. It's your manganese. It's your... <laughs> And it's, <laughs> it's making it very confusing for people yeah. and, um, and they're, they're, you know, sold a bunch of supplements and this and that. And, um, sometimes we just need to dial it back a little bit and, yeah. um, and, and, and kind of look at the, you know, 3,500 foot view. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, speaking of, I guess, kind of diet variation, um, I've talked to different people. I've talked to Dr. Mindy Pels. I don't know if you know her, she's all about fasting. And, um, I've talked to a few other people and they're very much on the camp of like the week before your cycle, that's when you have your carbs and you should go hard on, you know, keto or your fasting or whatever. in the first 10 days of your cycle, maybe take a break during ovulation. And then, you know, the last days before your cycle, then you have your carbs, but do you feel like that's a good plan or does it kind of have to be individualized? Yeah. I mean, it certainly has to be individualized. I don't change, I don't change my eating pattern based on, you know, where I'm at in my cycle. Um, I just don't, I think it's too confusing, you know, for patients as well. I mean, and, and a lot of them for me are on, you know, some sort of contraception anyway, and we're not really tracking cycles. So I I just think that's a confusing way to try to teach people. I mean, I, I, I have trouble teaching people what a carb, a fat and a protein are, let alone (laughs) when to eat what and how much and you know, whatever, like we have to make this simple. Like like I had just right before I got on this podcast, somebody messaged me. Okay. I think I'm going to try the ketogenic diet, but I'm so overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. Mm. Um, It it really shouldn't be that overwhelming. We've made it so complex. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, be your own expert. Uh, I don't know. Add some complex carbs in. How do you feel? Did it make you you feel better? Is it getting you closer or further away from where you want to be? Um, you know, be your own expert because we all respond a little bit differently, but I don't change my diet based on where I'm at in my cycle, but certainly in the first half of my cycle is where I could tolerate more carbs, go harder in the gym. Second half of my cycle, I got to dial it back a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And for me, if I, if I was to do carb cycling or try that out, I feel like I have such a history with like addiction and sugar addiction, food addiction. And I've talked to a lot of people that are like this, that they have a little bit of rice or they have a little bit of that carb and it just sends them into a spiral. And I'm like, that's the last thing I want for people who have worked so hard to get where they are and get into this lifestyle that they go and they're like, I'm going to carb cycle this week. And it just totally sends them off, you know? Yeah, I do agree with that. And on that same note, um, cause you mentioned fasting. Um, I think that the fasting yeah. card has been overplayed a lot at the poker table recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a tool. Yeah. That's probably why I lost my cycle was. Yeah. 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 And I don't think everybody should do it. And I don't think everybody should do it all the time. You know, if your goal as a woman, because my, you know, message to people is like building body mass, right. And at the level that I train and at my current body fat, I should not be fasting. I just shouldn't. No, and I think it's okay. No. I think it's okay to do, you know, maybe like a 24 or 48, maybe a 72 hour fast a couple times a year or something like that. But yes. I see people get into this, like, you know, I'm like, it's like a, like a badge of honor. Like I've been fasting for 60 hours. And the problem is, is that, yeah. you know, you may start to lose lean body mass. And I, I really see women in particular back to this idea of intuitive eating. I've seen intermittent fasting push women into binge and restrict behavior. Um, it's like yes. they fast, and then all of a sudden when they start eating, like they can't stop, like whenever they've opened their eating window for the day, like they're consuming a boatload of calories and you can still do that in a short window. Um, and you kind of brought up that idea with the carbs. And I, and I do feel that way as a former car, you know, I'll, I'll be an admitted carb addict myself. Yeah. Um, as soon as I start, let's say I open a box of almond crackers or something like that. They're like low carb. Oh, Lord. I can't stop. Like I can't, yeah. like I can't be trusted with the box. Um, I totally agree with that. Um, it's, and, and I think part of it is that kind of the, the mental health aspect of, mm-hmm. and I see people in the keto space, a lot of them came from disordered eating, whether it was like binge behavior or anorexia or bulimia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people in this space that had former eating disorders and that's, uh, it, it is a big issue. And I don't think it, there's such a stigma associated with it. And um, I wish people talked about it more, you know, transparently, because I have, I have eaten in my pantry, like, like, I mean, I have, like made sure my husband was gone. Like I have been there before where you're like, <laughs> yeah. no one will see this. No one will know yes. seen this. Like that is messed up. And that yeah. like, and that, and, and there's people in the space probably doing it and they're yes. not on their social media. Cause they want people to think they live this finished product fairy tale world. 
And uh, no one does, trust me. No, no, no. Yeah. People know that they, when they follow me, they know it, it can be messy at times. And I typically will tell people what's going on. Um, and I feel like you can't really trust the people who are perfect all the time and don't ever have a problem. And I was able to do this and, and feel great. Um, but going back to, I guess the, the fasting and the variation, I do see women and I experienced myself, uh, lowered progesterone doing carnivore all the time. Um, and for me, the trick was, and it won't work for everybody. I had to go super high in fat and the week before my cycle, that's the only way that I would not go and binge was like, I just have to make sure I eat like a ridiculous amount of fat Mm -hmm. if I want to stay on this way of eating. So for women that, you know, that you see that, that do keto or do carnivore low carb eating that are starting to see a decline in those hormones. And it's core, it's not necessarily correlated to, you know, perimenopause getting older. It's just like, that's directly correlated to the diet. What kind of advice or program would you, would you give them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what happens like, you know, in your situation it is when somebody goes carnivore, it, it's easy to eat a ton of protein. Right. And when we yeah. look at, you know, what ketosis really is, it's like 20% protein. And, you know, when you start just eating ribeyes and chicken and all this, you're eating tons of protein and it is, it's hard to, to add the right ratio of fat and protein in there. Uh, I'm struggling Mm -hmm. with that right now, like currently, like right now with my coach, uh, Robert Sykes is coaching me in this. I love him so much. (laughs) And I'm, I'm literally like taking MCT like oil by the tablespoon and he's like less protein, less protein. And I'm like, I'm so used to eating high protein. It's hard. But our, you know, our sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they're made from cholesterol, right? So you'd think this, this diet full of this great animal cholesterol, right? Would just like pump out all these hormones, but, um, it, it's not true when you're eating a ton of protein and you're not getting that fat in there. That's basically what we call a protein sparing modified fast, you know, where you don't restrict protein, but the energy calories, fat and carbs are super low. And for women that can be very detrimental. I think men can get away with it pretty easy. Yeah. Um, but women really can't, we're reproductive creatures and uh, you got to kind of listen to your body a little bit in that situation. And I think carnivores, I think where carnivore works is for people with autoimmune conditions. I mean, I've had patients have great success with it, but I always tell them the goal is let's go carnivore for 14, 21 days, whatever it is. And then let's start adding a few things back in and see how you feel, you know, see how your body kind of responds to those things. And, um, and, and you'll find certain plants or vegetables that you tolerate just fine. Um, Mm -hmm. because the gut microbiome changes in about 10 to 14 days, it's rather rapid, you know? And so you're going to know rather quickly if, if somebody is, you know, responding well to it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think the danger again, kind of what I said earlier is that we start feeling really good and we feel like, okay, this worked for 30 days. I need to keep doing it. And you do it for a year. And then, you know, you don't, you don't have a cycle anymore. And you're like, well, maybe this isn't working out. And this isn't, you know, you stay in that kind of gluconeogenic state all the time. Um, not really in ketosis. The The body is so adaptive. And so my diet's never the same. I I mean, I'm, I'm always changing things and you kind of, you bring up this word cycle, right? It's like, think of it. Like we have seasons, we have life cycles, we have like, everything is a, is a cycle. And so I think it's good to like, you know, be in ketosis in the winter and then in the summer have more berries and squash and whatever. And then, Oh, you want to do two weeks of carnivore. Great. Do two weeks of carnivore and then go back to you know, paleo. I mean, I think it's always good to change things up and kind of find your, your rhythm. And, you know, we naturally kind of find that rhythm around social events and things like that. I mean, I think you still have to live your life and make memories and, and, um, and you just got to figure out what works best for you. Yeah. I think the message is stay with the whole foods, real foods. Like you said in the very beginning, if it doesn't come from the ground or have a mother, then, don't eat it. Um, and we have to stop being so dogmatic, especially when we start, you know, getting those test results back or we stop feeling our best. We don't have energy. I have so many women that are in my private group that are like day one, I'm like, what are you guys struggling with the most? And they're all like, we're not sleeping. I mean, just the not sleeping. I'm like, well, are you, are you, and half of them were doing OMAD and had been doing OMAD for months and months. And I'm like, why, (laughs) you know, Yeah. And you brought up progesterone. Progesterone is a great hormone for sleep. It will really help you sleep well. 
And, and there's a place for hormone replacement therapy. You know, I don't know how old some of these women are, but there really is truly a place. And I think in kind of the keto carnivore world, people are so like anti-medicine. Yes. And it's hard for me because like, I walk this fine line of, um, I tell people I'm, you know, boarded in integrative medicine and immediately I'm a quack. <laughs> and then, you know, on the other flip side of it, like I'm board certified in Western medicine and I'm immediately evil. So I'm always trying to like walk on both sides of the fence and, and hormone replacement therapy isn't like, it's not like statins. It's not like, it's not like these other, you know, Western medicines. It's, it's literally, you know, you really should think of it more as like, it's like biohacking. It's, it's a recovery modality. It's, um, it's, it's in a different world. And so people shouldn't be afraid of it if you're a good candidate, but yes, sleep is a huge one. So important. And, um, it's, it's a very underutilized uh, tool in people's toolboxes. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, just don't be so again, dogmatic about, we can't do medications. We can't do this because it's Western medicine. I think that's another danger of like this, you know, carnivore keto echo chamber that <laughs> that's going on. So we're glad that you're in the space to kind of give a well-rounded view of what could actually help someone. Cause that's what we're looking for at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was thyroid, because there are so many people that do keto, do carnivore, and they see their TSH stays normal, their T4 stays normal, but then their T3 gets lowered. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that for people. Yeah. So thyroid in general, five times more common to have a disorder in a woman versus a man, right? Um, women are so complex. And like I said, your body is a re women, you are a reproductive creature. So I don't care what you change your sleep, your stress, your diet, it will affect your thyroid. All of it will. (laughs) Yeah. And, and estrogen increases thyroid binding, thyroid binding globulin. And so if you're estrogen dominant, it's actually increasing your thyroid binding globulin and it binds up your free T4 and your free T3. Um, and so um, that's one thing. So excessive estrogen, lower thyroid function. Now you asked specifically about women in the keto carnivore world that, um, have a lower free T3. Well, anytime people go on a calorie restrictive diet, um, we will see a decrease in thyroid function. Okay. Uh, the TSH might go up, the thyroid levels will go down and this is the body's protective mechanism. It says, okay, um, I'm seeing that there's less food coming in So Mm -hmm. I'm going to start to conserve energy in case the food stops coming in. So any calorie restrictive diet, I don't care if you're on a Twinkie diet or whatever it is, calorie restrictive diets across the board will lower thyroid function. Okay. So let's say somebody is on a eucaloric diet, right? They're, they're maintaining their body weight. They're at a calorie level to maintain their body weight, uh, but they're keto and the free T3 is low. And I've seen, I have seen this women in carnivore. Uh, they don't seem to be symptomatic, right? So right, they, don't, exactly. they, don't come, they come in and they come in and ask to get their labs checked, but they don't come in complaining of hypothyroidism symptoms. So then we look at the data and who's done studies on this. Well, Jeff Volek has done some studies where he's followed people's thyroid function and ketosis. And we, we do see a reduction in, in free T3 levels. Now, whether that's some sort of, you know, uh, physiologic protection or whether that's an increase in thyroid sensitivity, we don't really mm. know. And, and I'm, you know, maybe argue for the latter, but I just don't have the science, you know, to back it, but, um, kind of like you improve your insulin sensitivity, you know, maybe you've just improved your, your thyroid function. And because it's working so damn well, you don't need as much of it. I don't know. I think it's a possibility because what we see is even though we see a reduction in free T3, what's supposed to happen if it's truly hypothyroidism, is right. that TSH will go up. And I don't see that. You know, right. I might get PSH of, I don't know, 2.8 or something like that, but it's never over five, never. Right. And like I said, and they don't have symptoms. So definitely we have to interpret labs, uh, based on, you know, kind of the nutrition state of the patient. And that goes for cholesterol and all sorts of other things, but, um, but certainly any sort of calorie restrictive diet will affect thyroid. And, and when we look at hypothyroidism in women, there's really two, two reasons um, iodine deficiency and excessive iodine, excessive iodine. I've ah. seen a lot of people in the space that are just like putting the iodine drops and all It's a stuff. big thing right now. Everyone's talking about it and just ah, like good. telling everyone to supplement. Especially yeah. You, especially in face of a selenium deficiency. And so yes. especially in Hashimoto's, you don't want to give iodine, especially in a selenium deficiency. And so 
uh, you got to be careful with the iodine supplementation and for women in particular, because cosmetics, a lot of cosmetics have a ton of iodine in them. So I don't, oh. I don't buy, I don't buy the fact that a lot of women are really truly iodine deficient, but something to consider. Um, but Hashimoto's is the other one, you know, when people create auto, you know, uh, antibodies and, and I think that starts in the gut. I think that starts mm -hmm. in the gut. So I think that, you know, a lot of people will suggest a gluten-free dairy-free diet, but I think ketogenic diets, you know, that are devoid of those things are a great place to start for Hashimoto's too, just because if you're truly in ketosis, you get this anti-inflammatory effect through the NLRP3 inflammasome. So, um, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are great things to talk about for women and, uh, get your numbers checked and, um, get them checked a couple times a year if you're having trouble, uh, or once a year, if you're not. What do you think of the iodine patch test to find out if you're iodine deficient or not? Is that accurate or would there be some other way to tell if you truly were iodine deficient? Yeah, you can check urinary iodine. I mean, you can check, you know, iodine levels. I think that's like a, a cheap, you know, uh, we always say like cheap and dirty tests. Like it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's probably not perfect, but uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, I don't suggest that patients do it, but um you know, I start with the thyroid labs and then if we have to go down the rabbit hole looking at iodine, then we do. So. Gotcha. Cool. Well, this has been awesome. I know I could keep talking for at least another hour, but I know you are busy and have a house full of kids and getting ready for Miss, Mrs. America. So I really want to thank you for all your time today. And I know that these are some really important topics that just are being talked about a lot in the, in the keto and carnivore space, which I'm blessed to be a part of, but I like to add a little bit of a different flavor, I think, than, than what people are saying. I, my new slogan is meat-based, but dogma-free. And I'm just trying to, to, to help people find out what works best for them and to not uh, get so caught up in, in just fitting into a box. So I, I appreciate it. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for everything today. And, and where can people find you if they want to follow you, if they're not already following you? Yeah. You can find me on social media, both Facebook and Instagram, Dr. Fit and Fabulous. And then my website is drfitandfabulous.com got a YouTube channel. I'll be posting daily updates from Mrs. America. So if people want to follow along on that journey, it is going to be live streamed. Um, it'll be a paid live stream and I don't have the details yet for that, but for anybody anywhere in the world, um, if you want to tune in, it's March 27th, it will be, um, Las Vegas time zone. So for my poor Nebraska friends, you're going to have to stay up late. <laughs> Yeah. And here on the, we're in, I'm in Atlanta too. So on yeah, the East Coast even too. later for sure. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, so much fun to talk with you and thanks again for coming on today. Thanks Sarah. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, for checking it out, guys. I really do hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I always enjoy recording episodes for you guys, for talking to new people, learning new things. I'm learning right along with you. So I really do hope you enjoy it. And next week I have on Amy Berger, who is a nutritionist who has been in the keto space for a very long time. And we really talk about keeping things simple. Uh, I have definitely been guilty of overcomplicating things for sure in my stint in this space. And Amy is just so down to earth, it was so fun to talk to. And I know you guys are going to really enjoy that episode. So please make sure you are subscribed. If you are over on Apple, leave me a review, leave me a comment. I would love that so much. And if you can, please go ahead, share this out on social media, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram. Please make sure to tag me. And I really do appreciate all of your support with this show. I've got a lot more episodes coming, as I mentioned before, and can't wait to keep on talking to people, learning things and sharing things with you. So thanks again for listening and have a beautiful rest of your day.